0: So have you noticed that in the junk mail recently? The junk mail is full of package deals, and I tell you, there's some beauties out there. Did you know that if you buy a PlayStation 3 at the moment, you will get a brand new copy of the of uh, the Abart Singstar game for free. If you buy an Xbox 360, you'll get the Indiana Jones Lego and the Kung Fu Panda game thrown in. If you get a new sleep number bed, you'll get a bonus 22-inch LCD TV. If you buy a Renai 8-burner barbecue, you'll get a bonus gourmet hamper pack valued at $500. If you buy a Grayman car navigation system, they will throw in a handheld GPS system as well. If you buy a Rockwell cordless drill kit, you'll get a replacement battery pack for the life of the drill. These are the sort of things that I'm circling and just leaving casually around the house. (laughs) But when it comes to package deals, Harvey Norman have gone crazy. Did you know that if you buy the Samsung full high definition entertainment package, not only do you get a 46 inch, 46 inch full high definition television and a surround sound 7.1 channel Blu-ray high definition home theatre system. Not only do you get both of those things for $97 less than if you had bought them separately, but they will throw in a bonus Blu-ray high-definition player, because you can never have too many of those, plus Harvey Norman will throw in a gift card valued at $250. I worked out that that's enough to buy a Sunbeam sprinkled donut maker, a Sunbeam chocolate fountain, a Sunbeam avalanche ice cube shaver and a Sunbeam Slurpee frozen drink maker, all of which gives you four chances to enter the draw for a family trip to Disneyland in Hong Kong. That's a package! I left that one on Sue's side of the bed. (laughs) Now, if you're a bit worried that this talk is being presented to you by Harvey Norman, (laughs) the point of all this is that it's the season of package deal, so it's sort of appropriate that here in Jeremiah this morning, we're actually in the middle of a most marvellous package deal that the God of all the universe is putting together. For you and I. You may not have noticed that as Mara read it to us, but effectively, what we heard earlier from chapter 24 was the second half of a package deal from God to you. Now, the first part of the package deal came last week, so I hope you're here to catch it. If you, uh, if you were, hopefully, you remember that in chapter 23 after 22 chapters of sin and judgment and calling on Israel to repent and telling them that he's going to punish them with Babylon, suddenly last week a sense of something new, something hopeful, washed into the book. And God began to talk about a coming time of safety. Remember that? A coming time when he would handpick his own king, who would reign in justice and righteousness and bring safety and salvation. Uh, he would be a good shepherd as opposed to the shepherds that were looking after them at the moment. It was terrific stuff that God talked about last week. But wait, there's more. For such is the generosity of God that that was actually only the first half of a package deal. This morning is the second half. What's the second half of the package involved? Well, let's, let's discover that by firstly thinking about the timeliness of when all of this is happening. Have a look back at uh, the verse 1 again and all those funny names. After Jehoachin, son of Jehoiakim, <laughs> it's not very imaginative names, is it? But anyway, king of Judah and the officials, the craftsmen and artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon. Now, you see, this chapter is opening at the time when the then king of Israel has been carried off into exile by Babylon. Now, it is worth noting that that means this chapter, chapter 24, actually happened in history before chapter 23. The two chapters have actually been reversed in chronological order. That's Jeremiah for you. He hardly ever puts anything in order. What he does is he puts things in a, certain, in a certain way so as to generate a mood, so as to generate a certain tone in, the, in us, the reader. What's the tone he's looking for here? Well, uh, to understand that, we've firstly got to understand a little bit of history. Sorry about that if history's not your thing. Try and stick with it. It, it, it will pay dividends. Because, you see, what happened is that when Babylon invaded Israel, they did it in in a whole series of waves, a whole series of different stages. Here in chapter uh, 24, we're at the very first stage of the invasion. This is a stage when Babylon essentially kidnapped lots of people. Now, later on, uh, Babylon would also destroy lots of things, uh, including the beloved uh, Jerusalem temple. But here, at this stage... Uh, they are essentially just kidnapping people and taking them back to Babylon. Daniel, from Daniel in the Lion's Den fame, he's, he was one of the ones carried off in this first wave of the invasion, as was Israel's king at the time, a king called King Jehoiachin. That's mentioned there in verse 1. Now what is not specifically mentioned in verse 1 is that in Jehoiachin's place, Babylon appointed another king, a puppet king called Zedekiah. So if you think about it, it's quite a delicate moment in Israel's history. It's quite a confusing moment in Israel's history because they've actually got two kings. They've got one guy in exile being held captive and they've got another king put there in Jerusalem by Babylon, which raised the obvious question for them, which of these two kings is the right one? Or to put it another way, in which of these two kings held Israel's future. And I think that's why Jeremiah mixes up the order of the chapters a little bit. Because after what we heard last week, the question of which of these two kings holds Israel's future, that re- that's a really important question. Because last week, God promised to raise up a righteous branch of David, didn't he? He promised to produce a king who would lead his people to safety. And so where's that king going to come from? Where should Israel look to for their future security? Is this righteous branch of David going to come from Zedekiah, the king on the ground appointed by Babylon, or is he going to come from Jehoiachin, the king in exile? Both of these guys are valid descendants of David. So who's it going to be? Which is the family line that Israel need to keep an eye on for the future? Well, God gives his answer through a vision, and it turns out to not only be a timely vision, but a little bit of a surprising one. Verse 1 again, second half. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. One basket was very, had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Okay, So far, so good. All pretty straightforward. Two baskets of fig sitting in front of the temple of the Lord. Pretty obviously they're meant to be offerings to Yahweh. Uh, the vision turns on the fact, however, that one lot of figs are a dud, uh, they've all gone bad. The other lot of figs are good. One's going to be a good offering to God. One's going to be a dud offering to God. $64,000 question. Who's being represented by which bunch of figs? Verse 5. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylons. My eyes will watch over them for their good. And I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. Now, I want to suggest that this is a bit of a surprise. To the casual observer at the time, the common thought, the natural reaction, was that the exiles who had been taken away, that they were the unlucky ones. That the exiles who had been taken away, that they were the ones who were being punished. And that it was the good people who had been left behind. That's how it works in class, at school, isn't it? It's the naughty kids who get sent out of the room. Well, surely that's what the exile was all about. It's the naughty ones who got thrown out of the promised land. That's not exactly what God is saying here. He's saying it's the ones who've been taken away that are the good figs. It is with them that the future of God's people will lie. There's a turn up. Meanwhile, uh, for those left behind, verse 8, but like the poor figs that are so bad, they can't be eaten, says the Lord, so I will deal with Zedekiah. Remember, he's the king that Babylon had put in place in Jerusalem, king of Judah. His officials and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt, I will make them at adhoram and an offence to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing, wherever I banish them. Okay it's a pretty straightforward vision albeit a surprising message isn't it the future of god's people lies not with those left behind in jerusalem not with those left in the classroom the future lies with jehoachin and the israelites who have been taken away into exile they are the ones whom god will watch over and care for and plant they will be his people in fact more than that Back in verse 7, there's something else tucked away in this vision that deserves special mention. Something which lifts this vision out of the category of just surprising and puts it very firmly into the category of revolutionary. This is something that causes this week's chapter 24 to combine with last week's chapter 23 to produce a package deal to end all package deals. Verse 7. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. Now, friends, this is a revolutionary promise. This is a history-changing promise. This is a life-altering promise. This is a promise from God to change his people's hearts. This is a promise from God to change his people's disposition and aspirations. This is a promise that God will actually give his people the desire they need to return to him with all their hearts. I will give them a heart to know me. And you've got to understand that within the context of the book of Jeremiah, this is exactly what the doctor ordered. Because all the way through Jeremiah up until this point, this is precisely what has been wrong with Israel. This has been precisely why they've got themselves into trouble with the exile in the first place. It's because they haven't had a heart to know God. Now, we haven't noticed it on the way through, but all the way through up until this chapter, God has actually had a lot to say about Israel's heart. And it's been all bad. He's described Israel as having evil hearts chapters 4, eleven, sixteen, eighteen. 11, 16, 18. Stubborn hearts, chapters 5, eleven, thirteen, twenty-three. 11, 13, 23. Rebellious hearts, chapter 5, 13. Uncircumcised hearts, chapters 9. Hearts that are far from God, chapter 12. Cursed hearts, chapter 17. God's had a lot to say about their hearts and it's been all bad. And now, he says, I'm going to change all that. The day is coming when out of those prisoners of war who'd been carried off to Babylon, the day is coming when I'm going to plant my people and I'm going to give them a heart to know me. And I'm almost stumbling for words at this point because nothing I say at this moment can adequately, I think, capture the enormity of this promise. Because forget Israel. This is a promise that we all need to have, isn't it? Because it's not just uh, Israel that's got a problem with a stubborn heart. It's all of us, isn't it? We all have a... And I know it's not politically correct to say that. The spirit of this age, which takes its lead from humanism, this world seems to have the idea that mankind is basically good. That you and I, we're okay. It's the system that's the problem. So if somehow we just fix the system... You know, if we just fix the political system, if we just fix up our education system, if we fix up our social welfare system, the health system, if we can sort out our science and technology, everything will be okay. But it doesn't work. All through history, it doesn't matter what sort of system's in place. All through history, it doesn't matter what sort of political system is operating, it doesn't matter how you tinker with the education system, it doesn't matter how sophisticated our technology be Whatever age you live in, whatever country you live in, whatever culture you live in, there is always trouble, there is always violence, there is always dishonesty, there is always conflict, there is always immorality. And God says it's because people, you and I, we just stuff things up because we all have hearts like Israel. That left to our own inclinations, we simply don't want to know God and we don't want to do what he says. And here embedded in this very simple vision about a couple of baskets of figs, here embedded in it is a revolutionary promise that God is going to plant a people who will return to him with all their heart because he is going to give them the heart to do it. Can you start to see why well, this is just such a great package deal with what we saw last week in chapter 23? Because last week we saw the wonderful idea that God is going to send a Messiah, that God is going to send a good shepherd who will care for his sheep. But in one sense, what's the point in doing that if people don't actually choose to follow the shepherd? What's the use of having a good leader if no one is inclined to follow him? God could see that. He could see the depth of the problem that humans' evil heart put us in. And so as part of a package deal, he not only promises the coming of a good shepherd, he actually graciously promises to give his people the heart's desire to want to follow him. And it all comes out of a bunch of exiles who've been bundled off to to, to Babylon. And for you and I, this side of the cross, what is very cool is that this is not just a surprising vision, this is not just a revolutionary vision, the really cool thing is that this side of the cross, we get to look back into history and see that it's also a fulfilled vision. What happened in history is that after 70 years of exile, Jehoiachin's great grandchild, Zerubbabel, led the exiles back to the promised land, where they scratched out a new beginning, albeit a very uh, An impressive beginning. But then 500 years after that, a direct descendant of that exiled king, Jehoiachin, a direct descendant of his, named Jesus of Nazareth, was nailed to a cross in the place of sinners. And Jeremiah's vision was fulfilled. A new kingdom of people was planted a worldwide kingdom of salvation and safety was ignited. A kingdom led by a good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep so that the barrier of sin might be uh, torn up. A kingdom of people, each of whom is given a new heart so as to know God, and the desire to to follow God. A kingdom of people, each of whom are reborn by God's own spirit. A worldwide, engulfing, universal kingdom of people was planted when Jehoiachin's descendant died on that cross. And part of that kingdom is in this very room this morning. It is extraordinary what this vision predicts. And I'd love you to get a fresh glimpse this morning just of the sheer magnitude of what it is to be in this kingdom, to be part of the fulfilment of this vision. I'd love you to, get a, to just get a glimpse of the sheer size of what is going on in your life according to this vision. The great treasure that Jesus is to us in fulfilling this. Because a vision like this is alerting us to the fact that when you are in this kingdom, when you are in Christ, you have been remade. You you have a new heart. Your desires are being transformed. The Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 6. You used to be slaves to sin, but now you've been set free from sin and you become slaves to righteousness. It's it's, It's a huge thing that's going on in you. And I think Jeremiah actually very cleverly is alerting us to it a little bit because if you've got a really, really good memory, you may have noticed that verse 6 of today's chapter actually takes us full circle right the way back to the very first chapter of the book. Verse 6 of today's chapter talks about uh, the exiles being built up and not torn down, doesn't it? of planting them, not uprooting them. Now, that word selection there, those phrases, is a very deliberate echo of chapter 1, verse 10, a verse which also spoke of nations being built up and torn down, uh, peoples being planted and rooted. And so here we are in chapter 24, suddenly with all these echoes of chapter 1 reverberating in our mind. That's the chapter we looked at at our celebration Sunday. That's the chapter that introduced us to a very, very big God. That's the chapter that told us about a God who moulds entire nations to his will. That's the chapter that told us about a God who forms people and commissions people even before they're conceived. That's this chapter that told us about the true and living God who speaks and forms and knows and sets apart and appoints and commands and watches over and summons and pronounces. And here in chapter 24, we are being deliberately reminded of that very big God back in chapter 1. So as to make the point that that very big God in chapter 1, He is actually involved in his people in a very personal way. And that is astounding. I was reading in the recent uh, Australia Geographic that that scientists are uh, starting to scratch their heads about the universe because uh, the universe seems to be far more complicated than they actually even thought. Apparently there's not enough matter in the universe. Uh, They've done the maths, I don't know how, but they've done the maths and and the amount of stars and the amount of planets that are in the universe doesn't actually fully explain the gravitational pull that is also in the universe. And so they've decided that there's a new particle, a new subatomic particle that they're calling gray matter. Uh, sorry, dark matter, dark matter that you can't actually touch or see. Uh, dark matter hardly interacts at all with the visible matter that we can see. But they've also decided that there's a dark energy as well that sort of repels things rather than attract things like gravity. And together with this dark matter, this dark energy, make up 95% of the universe. Now it was about that time uh, my brain was starting to hurt a little bit with the article. But basically what this means is that if you look up at the night sky tonight and you look it up and you look at all that majesty that you see out there, that's only about 5% of what's really there and that you can't see. And I'm thinking to myself, how big is God? That he simply spoke the word and all of that came out of nothing. And Jeremiah is telling us that that God, he is at work in your life, shaping, changing empowering, working out his purposes, changing your heart to set you free from sin. Do you think that perhaps we give in to temptation a little too easily? Do you think perhaps we get a little too discouraged too quickly? Do you reckon we can sometimes be, I don't know, small-minded, We're too defeatist in our thinking about things, given the size of the God who is at work in you. Friends, there is no temptation you cannot resist. There is no situation that you cannot get through with your faith intact. There is no trial that you cannot learn from. There is no sin you cannot stop. There is no hindrance you can't throw off. And I'm not saying we'll gain perfection this side of heaven. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying it won't be tough and it will require real effort. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we won't mess up at times. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that sin has been dethroned in your life. What I am saying is I want you to be hopeful that change is possible in your life. I want you to know that sin can be defeated. I actually want you to expect more of yourself than perhaps sometimes you do, because you have no less than the true and living God working in you to do his will and his good pleasure. He has given you a good shepherd over you, and he has given you a fresh heart within you. He is making you into a person that you are always meant to be, and he is the God who can do more than you can possibly imagine. Now that... Is a package deal. I'll pray. Father, you astound us with the things that you do for us. Uh, you astound us with the greatness of Jesus and the things that he has fulfilled. Father, just last week we were thankful enough that your son is our good shepherd. But thank you that your son has also ignited and planted a kingdom of people whose hearts have been changed. Thank you for the spirit in our life, shaping us, changing us. Father, thank you that you have called us into a kingdom in which sin need not control us. So, Father, help us to live it to be slaves to righteousness, as you have made us to be. Amen. Friends, we're going to sing a song that celebrates what God has done for us. Oh, the mercy of God. And then we'll be having morning tea. Hope you can stay for that.